Right now, will you turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. I'm just so grateful for you, by the way. I'm so glad you're here. I pray this is a blessing to you in every way. And I do pray that we are, as sisters, encouraged, but that we are deeply convicted, deeply convicted that something needs to change in our life and that God will be greater, greater to us and more real to us than he's ever been at any point in our history. Or else, why are we showing up? Don't show up just to show up. Show up because you believe that God can actually be greater than he already has been. He's already great, but he can be greater and we can be more faithful. Ask him to do this for you. All right, so let's start with the reading of Matthew chapter 5. Everybody got it? And who is he speaking to right now? Who is Jesus? Oh, yeah, this is going to be interactive. Oh, yeah. He's done it. Yeah, the, thank you. The disciples. The disciples are there, but, but there's other people there, right? This is that Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is intentionally speaking to his disciples. That would be you. All of you in here who call yourself Christians. That's you. But then there's this periphery of people that are gathering and they're hearing the words. And they want to know what's being said so they can hear. They, they have the earshot of what Jesus is saying. And here's what he's saying, but he's speaking directly to his disciples. So he's speaking right to you. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So this is our theme passage. This is going to be that underlying, that concrete foundation of everything that we're going to do. Let's unpack it for just a moment. You tell me, and they're on your notes. Everybody have notes? Good? Great. What is the function of salt? If we are to be salt, what is the function of salt? Specifically, historically speaking, during this time, it would have a, a very priority function, and that would be, yes, to preserve their food, specifically meat. To give flavor to things, yes, but mainly to preserve, to hold together their food. Right, good. So you can take, take notes, please. So sodium chloride in ancient times, we're just going to call it controlled rotting, is really what it, what it did. Because it was rotting would be the inevitable of any kind of food if it was not consumed. So they use salt to preserve the integrity of the flavor. This is what Jesus is talking about right now. You are the integrity of the flavor. You are holding things together, church. As there, we are, we're really in a situation where there is decay, there is rot taking place. What are we the salt of specifically? You are the salt of the yeah, so the earth is rotting. In the meantime, we're helping to control that rot by being the preservative that holds it together. Isn't that really beautiful language? 
but we need salt, right? Sodium chloride, that's necessary for us as humans at a cellular level because we're getting rid of it all the time through sweat and mucus and tears and urine. Not any words I want to say in a Bible study, but that's <laughs> true, right? It's constantly leaving our body. We constantly need to be replenished with it. So just, just look at the nature of all these words, the language that Jesus is using. It's, it's powerful. So the, the, what is falling apart? One more time. What's falling apart? What's rotting? Yes. And so the world needs to be held together and constantly replenished. Okay? So what is the nature of light? We're to be salt and light. So what's the nature of light? What does it do? It illuminates. Illuminates what? The darkness. So when, if there is light, then there is, by contrast, always going to be darkness. Now, I want you to think not in our terms of electricity, but what is Jesus, when he is saying, you are the light of the world, what is he in real time, what is he talking about? What was their light? The sun. But, but in specific of context, he's talking to, what type of a light does he talk about here? Nor do people light a, a lamp. A lamp. So he's referring to a light of a lamp. So it would have been just a little bowl of oil with a little wick. And that would have been their light that would dispel the darkness of the room and bring light to the room. Um, so I just want you to see that, that without it there would have been darkness, there would have been disorientation. That's the world that we live in, a world of darkness and disorientation. And we are the lamp. And I want you to see that there's a specific kind of light that we are. He doesn't say, hey, go be the sun. <laughs> he reigns us in just a little bit because a lamp can actually not produce light on its own. A lamp merely holds the light. So I want you just to see the nature by which we hold the glory of God, but we are not in and of ourselves producing this. It is all through God that we harness anything. So how do we know when we have lost our flavor? How, how do we know when the, the saltiness of who we are, when we're no longer holding things together in the name of Christ, when we are no longer uh, replenishing in truth, in, in renewal, in unity, in peace? How do we know? How do we know when we've maybe the, the wick and the lamp is just kind of burned down, and, and we're now just look more like the dark. The darkness is caving in on us. Well, all we have to do is refer right before uh, Jesus starts in 13. I want you to look at verses 3 through 11. Y'all know these verses, right? The Beatitudes. We've heard these a lot. I want you to see, because Jesus is speaking so conversationally, he would have said these words first. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, when? And then he would have said, you are the salt of the earth. So immediately we know that this is what it looks like to be salt and light, these previous passages. So let's pull that apart for just a moment. I want you to walk through that. And, and I want you to just, on your paper, if you, you can do it in code so that your neighbor doesn't know, you can put some initials there, whatever, because this is about being honest with ourselves and, and asking the Lord to show us, show us where we have lost this, where we are becoming more like the world 
and less like him. So if anything just jumps out to you, put a little star. So let's just go through those passages of verses 3 through 11, the Beatitudes. And let me just ask you a question based on each one. So the first one is poor in spirit. And my question is, do you recognize your own spiritual poverty? What I mean is, do you know that you need Jesus? Like every day, I need him more. I am fully aware that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And so I'm not looking for everything in my life to be perfect. I'm not looking to know absolutely the next thing that's going to happen and the next thing that's going to happen because I need. There will always be a deficit in my life. If, if he, he could fill that gap, but then there would be no faith required and I would have no spiritual poverty. So I'm asking you to just, you know, have you humbled yourself to be poor in spirit to say, absolutely, I'm in need every day. Do you mourn? And specifically, this, this context is, are you grieving or are you tender toward your sin and the sin of other people? Do you grieve it? There was a time in my life in the church, Christian girl, leading, small group, doing kind of similar stuff right now, just leading Bible study. And I had sin in my life and I could identify it and I, I knew it was a place where I was not trusting the Lord. I wanted it to be different, but, but I didn't grieve it. My heart wasn't broken about it. It was easier for me to just get up the next day and repeat the lie and repeat the lie because I had grown to love it. I love the lie more than I love the truth of God. And if I let go of the lie, I was going to have to be broken and actually change my whole life. And that was really terrifying. So I just kept doing the thing that I knew that was comforting me. And what I'm saying is when we are living with salt and light, we are grieving our sin and the sin of others. We can see people stuck in, the, in this. And think about what that would mean to grieve. It means you have compassion, right? It's not, I'm, Jamie's over here in sin, and I just can't believe she's doing that. I can't believe that she would be, have the audacity to keep doing this. No, I, I grieve. I'm broken. I go to her and I say, I, I can't bear this to see you in bondage anymore. I can't bear it. And when I do go to her, am I meek? Are you gentle in your approach and your speech? Do you have gentleness as you, as you not just talk to other people, but with yourself? Some of us are awfully mean to ourselves. Get it together. Why don't you have this thing together by now? You should be fixed. What is wrong with you? And we'll say those things to ourselves. And so I'm not saying just as you talk to others, but as you're even dealing with your own self in grief, if you think about it as to grieve, grieve your sin. It's got to be met with meekness and gentleness in the way that we're approaching it. What about hunger and thirsting for righteousness? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? What does that even mean? <laughs> okay, I'm going to give us some help from James 3.18. You can just make a note of it there. James 3.18 says that a harvest of righteousness will be sown by those who make peace. 
So that gives us a clue into what it looks like, what righteousness in our life looks like. And, and here Jesus is saying, do you hunger and thirst to make peace? Are you seeking peace in, in all of your relationships and all of the events that, that happen? Are you, are you making a way for peace? What about mercy? James is going to help us again. James chapter 2, 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So my question is, what's our default? If Jesus is saying, I want you merciful, then it's not going to be judgmental. Mercy is going to triumph over the judgment that I would want to give to somebody or to myself and instead offer grace. So what, what's that natural default? You know, we can be honest about that. Are we compassionate? What about being pure in heart? Ooh, that's a big one. Are there any secrets left? That's the context here. It's not so much... Um, it's not perfection, it's not outright holiness, we're seen as holy through Jesus, but we, we know that we've still got lurking lie and sin no matter what. Even in the recesses of our subconscious, we have lurking sin that we don't even know about yet, that God hasn't even revealed to us yet. Uh, but I think a check and balance for us as far as purity of heart means that as far as we know, as far as our awareness has given us at this point in life, there's, no, there's nothing left to say. I mean, it's out there. My secrets. And, and, and I don't mean like you're, you're here and you're standing before the church. Sometimes that's called for. But most of the time in scripture, the protocol is one-on-one. -on -one. You've, you've got a really close friend. You've got two or three people that know your heart and they're in your life and they can call you on your stuff and you let them tell you your stuff. You've got to have those girls. If you don't have those girls, come on. How are you going to make it? We got to have people that are able to push us, that we can go before. Remember, what is healing? What does the scripture refer to as healing? Confession. Confession. So if there's something you're still holding on to that, that is a secret that is, under, that is in the darkness, the Lord absolutely wants to expose it, and he wants to expose it with somebody who's going to love you and be in it with you and not reject you because of it. That's true love, not using your honesty against you. And that is what the church is supposed to look like. And I'm deeply sorry for those of you who have not experienced that. But people are just people. We miss it. And we grow. And, and we hurt. And we hurt out of our own hurt. And sometimes when we know we're hurting, I guarantee you I was this girl. I guarantee you that I judged and hurt and rejected someone when they finally confessed. So we got to ask the Lord to help us. Are you a peacemaker? Romans 12, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's, whew, that's a lot. That's a really tall order. It's also a great check and balance. Jesus did not ask us to keep the peace, by the way. And we're about to get all riled up in here, I'm just telling you. It's a coming. And you will not find a God who is keeping peace on some of these topics. You will find a God who has very clear black and white things to say. And 
I want us to make the difference between we're, we're not asked to be a doormat for everybody else's opinion or beliefs, but we are, we are called to make peace. Make it. And sometimes that has to come through ruffling some feathers. Sometimes that has to come through saying really hard things of correction, of rebuke, of truth. That is love. That is a way to bring peace. But, it, but as far as it depends on us, we're making a way. We always have the door cracked. I use that language a lot. In every relationship, I'm saying everyone that has burned you, everyone that you think there is no possible way there could ever be restoration, you were so deeply hurt, you got to keep the door cracked. You cannot ever close the door fully because that is not what Jesus would do, <laughs> literally. It, there would be no way for peace in, if the door was completely closed and that boundary was totally forever set. That's why I don't like the word boundary very often. Sometimes we've got to keep them. But that's only because we are a mess and we don't have our stuff together. That's not because of somebody else. We, we're not responding to somebody else's sin. We're acknowledging our sin. We need a boundary until we get our act together. But we, we have to be willing to stretch because we have to believe the Lord is changing us, right? Is he transforming us or not? Is he renewing us or not? And if he is, then I can deal with your crazy a lot longer than I used to could. I can stay with really difficult people who have hurt me for longer stretches of time because he's changed my heart. He's changed my mind. And I'm making a way for peace. Finally, have you ever been persecuted or reviled for the sake of Christ? Is your truth so absolute that it is offendable to others? Others are offended because you do, foundationally, at the end of the day, have a, a line of truth that you stand on. And you're willing to risk them not liking you, you're willing to risk your reputation, you're willing to risk them walk away, whatever it is, you're willing to risk it in the name of that truth. We're going to talk about what that truth is. I'm going to give you uh, Dr. John Piper. He is a guy you need to go listen to and follow if you're not already. Um, he has a podcast called Ask Pastor John, and he, you should listen to it. Uh, every day, he's done, I don't know, hundreds of them. They're, they're little five, six, seven minutes every day. Um, his theology is very sound, and he is very wise. He is very conservative, but I adore him, and he has uh, really been a teacher and a mentor in my life. And this is what he says as far as being offended for the sake of Christ. For example, if you cherish chastity then your life will be an attack on people's love for free sex. If you embrace moderation, your life will be a statement against the love of alcohol. If you pursue self-control, your life will indict excessive eating. If you live simply and happily, you will show the folly of luxury. If you walk humbly with your God, you will expose the evil of pride. If you are punctual, and thorough in your dealings, you will lay open the inferiority of laziness and negligence. 
If you are spiritually minded, you will expose the worldly mindedness of those around you. And so he's just giving you some examples of ways that you might feel now or have been or should be persecuted and reviled for the sake of Christ. Okay, here's, I believe, your first note. As believers, just summing up this passage in Matthew, as believers, we are here to preserve the integrity of the gospel and to expose any darkness that threatens it. How do we do that? We've read, we just read how we do that, but let, let's just be real. How am I going to do all of this, Matthew 5, 3 through 11, simultaneously? <laughs> Like, I might have one on there. I'm like thinking, do I even have one? <laughs> Maybe one. But all these simultaneously, well, there is a way, or Jesus wouldn't have said it. This is my favorite thing that Pastor Dan has said, um, is that when God commands you to be obedient, he has already equipped you to follow through. He says it much lovelier than that. But that's the gist, is that if he's laying it out for you in Scripture and he's commanding this and saying this is what it looks like, he has already given you all of the resources to be faithful, to walk out in obedience. So we can trust him, we can believe him, but this, we got to go really deep. How are we going to do this? Well, first we've got to know the difference between rotten food and food that's able to nourish us. we got to know what we're bringing in our bodies, what we're bringing in our minds. What, what is decaying and what gives us life? we got to know the difference between darkness and light. So, this sets me up for where we're going tonight. I want to talk about, well, in the few minutes that we have left. At the basic level, what is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is evil? Can we decide for ourselves? Can man decide for themselves what is true? It would seem like that's what's happening. I mean, it, would seem, it doesn't take me long on social media to feel like that. Everybody's deciding what is best for themselves and just living that life. I am tempted to go right in, right in line. Yeah, that actually does feel good too. Go spend that money on that or... All right, look at John. Do you have the verses there of John 8, 12, John 1, 1? Okay, as I read these, what I want you to do is I want you to circle any word that would help you do this. Okay, so any word that you think stands out to you that we can own, that we can harness, that we can empower ourselves with to know the difference between right and wrong. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Bumping to verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, do you already see the power that we have? Do you already see the beautiful parallels back to Matthew? The word. 
The Word is God, and the Word is the light of all men. It's here. It's, it's tangible. <laughs> and we didn't create it. That's the best news. That the Word is eternal. It was not um, created by us. Therefore, it can truly give meaning to us. It's also a truth that will set us free. Free from what? What do you want to be free from? I mean, really, in the the honesty of your heart, what do you want to be free from right now? Answer, Answer it here. You don't have to answer it out loud, but I really want you to ask yourself, am I in bondage to a lie? Have I believed something over and over that now I'm I'm trapped? I'm trapped in the cycle of addiction. I'm trapped in the cycle of depression. I'm trapped in the cycle of anxiety. The relationships around me are deteriorating. I cannot see the light anymore. Everything just feels dark. What do you want to be free from? Well, the truth will set you free. But you've got to know it. You've got to know it in every pore of your skin. You've got to know it down to the bones and the marrow of who you are. And a daily devotional is not going to cut it. It is not going to cut it. Because you are in the fight for your life. You are in a battle. You should be bloody and bruised and broken every single day. But if you're on the sidelines with, with a... Five sentence devotional, how are we going to get there? He wants to set you free. And if that's the only thing that you hear tonight, that's great. Because some of you don't believe that. Some of you think his patience has run out, that his goodness has gone thin, that he's just tired of doing the same dance with you and some of you actually believe you're not worth it. Some of you don't believe he wants to free you. And I hope, I hope he and me and we can convince you differently over the next few weeks. He does not love you like anyone in this room. He doesn't love you like any man any encounter, any sexual experience, any marriage. He doesn't love you like that. He loves you without needing anything from you. And there is no other human who can say that. There is no mortal. Even on my best days, I still need something from you, Hannah. I need an acknowledgement. I need a hug. I need affirmation. I need to know that you understand me. Please understand me. Don't misunderstand me. Say, I need from you. But God is offering you a love that needs nothing. Therefore, it is true. It's not based on others' opinions. It's not even based on your opinion or on your subjective reality that you've grown up in. It's not based on tradition or what your family did growing up. So now you've just accepted it as truth. It is for sure not based on social media or the culture. I'm going to tell you through, I have a whole timeline so that you can see exactly how we have distorted as men trying to be God, because we are scared. We're scared. 
We're scared of owning our lie. We're scared of changing. We're scared of what people might find out. And we're scared of not being in control. And so we have distorted. We have tried to change the definition of what's right and what's wrong so that we can keep biding our time. And I'm going to prove to you how men have changed and distorted the absolute truth of God. There was a time when the whole world believed the Bible. There was a time when everything, this was just true. It wasn't contested at all. It is so liberating to me that I, um, after much research and much testing, believe that there was life, that there was a creator, and that creator had a purpose in all of this, and he created matter and energy and time. That that is so comforting to me. That is so absolute. I can build on that. That makes sense to me. What what takes even more faith is the atheist perspective. That before there was life, there was just matter and energy, and that somehow, we're not sure when, they don't even know when, they're just guessing, that life just happened. Now that's relative, that's shaky. And for me, I'm like, that takes so much more faith. That takes so much more faith for you to believe that than to believe that there was life before me, before anything existed, and that everything now matters, all right? Okay, so I'm just going to, we're about to come to a pausing point, but I want to get through just this little next section. What's your truth? We got to know what we believe, and it's not just about what we believe. The question no longer is what. From this point forward, I want you asking, why? Why do I believe that? If I believe that same-sex attraction is wrong, I want to know why you believe that. If I believe that abortion is wrong, I want to know why you believe that. If you believe in creation and not evolution, I want to know why you believe that. And the Bible has given you everything you need. It's given you everything you need. So don't, you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go read a bunch of textbooks. I pray that you are so equipped and empowered after this series to walk out into this world and and be true, like evangelize and have confidence in a conversation that might once have scared you. But I just did a quick, (laughs) I just did a quick little Pinterest. I got on Pinterest and I put in hashtag self-love. And, and literally, this is every, I'm just going to read for you everything that came up in my Pinterest feed. Hashtag living my truth. Hashtag self-care. A lot of that. Hashtag self-love. Um, fall in love with taking care of yourself. That was a, a painting. Fall in love with taking care of yourself. 20 self-love prompts to say to yourself every day. 30 self-care affirmations. Quote, things I refuse to do anymore. Explain myself to anyone. End quote. Um, the book, Girl, Stop Apologizing, popped up. Quote, uh, you owe it to yourself to become everything you've dreamed of being, end quote. Quote, figure out what brings you peace and do more of it. Mm, that could actually fly. Quote, I accept myself as I am, 
y'all, I don't have to convince you. Y'all are all, you have Instagram. How many of you have Instagram? Raise your hand. I want to see. Look at there, majority. How many of you have Facebook? Wow, I did not expect Facebook to win out at all. That's like the old school. That's like the MySpace now. Um, how many of you have MySpace? <laughs> Don't admit that ever to anyone. Mine is still floating around somewhere out there playing a plum song from like 1992. Anyway. All right, um, so you, you see it, right? This is the thing. This is what we're supposed to do. This is how we're prompted every day. It's subtly feeding itself in. And, and really, there's, there's two ways of seeing the world and there's two ways of existing in the world. You can live in relative truth, which, tip, which is really the majority of the culture and the media. And this is the definition of relative truth. All views hold equal value. Everyone is right about everything all the time even if those views contradict one another. So, so whatever Lorley's truth is, that's her truth, she lives it. Whatever my truth is, that's my truth, I live it. And they can be totally in opposition to each other, but we're both right. Hmm, a little weird. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah, I know, you'll, you'll win. You'll always win. Absolute. A quality of truth that cannot be exceeded, complete truth, unvarying and permanent. It's true no matter the consequences. So I just, I just want to leave you thinking, you know, what feels more liberating? Which one of those ways of existing in the world feels more like freedom to you? Something that's ever-changing that can be over here one minute, over here one minute, that's ever, you know, evolving, um, or something that just is, whether or not I like it. Whether or not I agree with it right now, whether or not I really fully understand it. Could there be a baseline here? Could there be a foundation? And what are we scared of? Why are we scared of believing in an absolute truth? By the way, when you say you don't believe in an absolute truth, you're actually saying you believe in an absolute truth. You can't even say it because for you to be true, something has to be wrong. For you to be right, there has to be a wrong. For you to live your truth means there has to be another truth. So you're, it's like I want to go, but you're li living in absolutes. And, the, and what's interesting is that people who live in relative truth land, they tend to get very upset when I disagree with them. But if I'm entitled to my own opinion, why are you upset right now? If, if we're all living our life, our best life, hashtag, why are you upset that I disagree with you? Why, why are you upset that I, I, you see what I'm saying? It's just not adding up. So we get a, we got a lot of good goodness to stand on, a lot of anchoring. Um, I, I think it's because, and I'll end on this. We, like I said, I think we're scared. I think, I think people that don't want to accept that there's absolute truth are really afraid of being exploited, um, afraid of it being used against them if they were to, you know, be honest. And here's, <laughs> see, the more, in, the more intimate a loving relationship is, the less independent we can be. And people really want their independence. People really want to not be controlled by you. People don't want you to have a say in their life. 
And, but, here, but the reality is the closer I draw to you in intimacy, the less independent I can be because Jamie's one of my best friends. And if I want to trust her and she wants to trust me and we grow in love and intimacy with one another, then I have to be willing to be wrong. She's got to be able to come to me and say, I'm seeing this in your life and this is not adding up with the truth. It is not landing. I, it's also hurting me. And, and the relative part of me wants to go, well, that's just me. That's my personality. That is my Enneagram number. It is just where I fall on the Enneagram. No, so that's what I want to say because I want to get defensive and my truth is my truth. It's just who I am. But <laughs> the spirit in me says, wait a minute. You want to love? You want real love? You want to be satisfied? You want, a, you want an intimacy? That means that you give up something right now. You say, you know what? I, I'd be willing to change that for you. Your relationship is more valuable than my habit. And, the, and I never realized this until I was married for a few years. And it's like our rights to make even these like small unilateral decisions is over. Like you are one. You are one and the closer you draw. But that is freedom. That's what we want. We want to be intimate. We want it. That is true freedom. So we move away from this independence of relative thinking and we move into a relationship. And that's why the Bible is true liberation, because you get God through a relationship with Jesus. Oh, I love it so much. It's not abstract. It's personal. It's personal. It's real. It's absolute. All right, so we're going to stop on that note. Now, you have to come back next week because I want you to know what the Bible says about itself and I want you to know what you believe. So, I want you to know how the Bible came about. How we got the, the, the canon that we have right now. The books that we've decided are the canon, which is the Bible that we believe is inspired and God breathed. How did that come about? And is there anything that opposes that out in the world? Well, for sure. The Quran, the Book of Mormon, the Apocrypha. I mean, we've got a lot of different letters and things floating around out there. Oh, how do we know they're not God-breathed? Do we not need to believe all of those things? So I want to paint that picture for you, and I want to give you a lot of resource and education that is power for you. To say, oh, this totally makes sense. This goes back hundreds of years. And I can't wait to show you that next time. So let me pray. Father God, we love you so much and we love that you have given us truth that sets us free we want to be free in our mind we want to be free in our body we want to be free in our spirit to love without need of return to love the way that you love us that is our quest and uh, we are going to trust that you have set us up to know this truth to believe this truth, to wrestle in the deep places, knowing that this is, um, might cause us to draw some really hard lines in the sand, maybe even with current relationships that we have. It's going to ask really hard things of us, and we're going to have to risk a lot to move forward. So God, I'm, I'm just asking for every single woman here that you would just strengthen us spiritually, that you would open our eyes that we don't fight this battle with flesh and blood, but then the spiritual realms, that you would show us the spiritual 
world of what you are doing and why this matters, why this matters forever. We love you and we thank you for this just small moment in time that we get to get together and know you more and encourage one another and pray with one another. Thank you for your word. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.